I think this movie, like, take away the, the shield, take away the wings. Um, I think this could compete with Bourne, right? Like, Damon's Bourne, not the fake one. Hello, fellow geeks. Welcome to the Story Geeks podcast, and thank you for joining us. You are part of a small but influential group of people we call Story Geeks. Fans of science fiction, fantasy, and comic books who love to dig deeper into geek stories to see how they impact us and the culture around us. These aren't just stories that help us escape. These stories shape our world. How? That's what we're discussing today. Don't forget to click the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future Story Geeks content. And as always, we want to hear from you. So follow us on Facebook or Twitter and send us your thoughts and opinions by commenting or emailing. If you like this podcast, be sure to share it with a geek friend. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Shear, and this podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. For more information about the Story Geeks podcast and other Reclamation Society projects, visit www.reclamationsociety.org. Now, let's dive into this week's episode. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Story Geeks podcast. Uh, my name is Daryl Smith. I'll be your host today. And today we have a returning guest. We have Sam Wellbaum with us again. Welcome, Sam. Good day. Thanks for joining us one more time here. I'm excited that I finally get to talk to you. Yeah, hey, no, I'm glad that you that, that you get to. I think it's, it's, it's going to be a fun thing. Jay's been a hog in it. He, a little bit, a little bit, but, you know, that's okay. He's, he's pretty giving when you push him. So. That's good. That's good. Well, um, for the sake of those who may be listening for the first time, why don't you just give us a little bit of information about yourself? Tell us, to quote a previous podcast, tell us who you are in this vast multiverse. Sure, yeah. No, let's get a little Doctor Strange in here before we go Captain <laughs> America, right? Um, so, yeah, uh, my name's Sam Welb. I'm the associate pastor at Shoreline Baptist Church in Fountain Valley. I'm actually in my office right now because that's where I keep my uh, my microphone. Um, and so, yeah, I'm a, the associate pastor there of Connections, and so I oversee the assimilation-type things uh, here. And then um, I'm an adjunct uh, professor at two different universities while I'm working on my Ph.D. on the philosophy of religion and theology, in which I'm writing about boredom. Okay. Um, okay, well, today, as you know, we're going to talk about Captain America Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. um, which I'm excited about because it's my favorite Marvel movie. Um so, as, uh, as we typically do here on the Story Geeks podcast, we're going to start off with a spoiler-free ratings section. Okay. So, um, you're familiar with this process, so let's Indeed. just dive in. From, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate the quality of this movie? Look, the, uh, the, the rating section when it comes to me, like I explained to Jay when we did the Doctor Strange one, um, on a Marvel movie, it's really uh, unfair and boring for me. I'm such a Marvel know, fanboy, right? right? Like, it's... I mean, even Iron Man 2 would get pretty high numbers here. Uh, so when you take a movie like Winter Soldier, yeah, I mean, it was it was incredibly well done. You know, one of the strengths of the Marvel uh, Universe is that they do different types of movies. Like, the Avengers was a fairly straightforward superhero team movie, but Ant-Man was a heist flick. Um, Guardians is sci-fi. You know, uh, Winter Soldier is a, um, you know, I don't want to say political thriller. That's not necessarily the right term, but it, I mean, it kind of Oh, really? Because that's the term I was going to use. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, political thriller, in my mind, I went a little more, um, 
uh, I think a little bit, a little more West Wing, but that wouldn't be a thriller. That would just be political. But yeah, like it it begins to get a little, uh, you know, maybe twenty four or James Bondish yeah. or the Born Identity. So it, they're, they each fill these different niches, uh, and so and they do them well. And I think this did an excellent job. Like even if it was outside of the Marvel sphere, I think this movie like take away the the shield, take away the wings. Um, I think this could compete with Born, right? Like Damon's Born, not the fake one. Like I think this could go ahead and <laughs> right, yeah. and, and can compete in that area. So yeah, I'm going to totally give it a ten. What about you? Yeah, I'm with you. I give it a ten too. Um, I what I loved about this one is, you know, I love all the Marvel movies just like you. I think you're a bigger Marvel fanboy than I am. I think um, I am. You're you're more of a DC fanboy if you yes. were a fanboy anything. But yes. yeah. Um, but I love all these movies, like and like you said, even the ones that people don't think are as good, I think they're great. Um, but this one stands out as my favorite, just because I think this was the first time I can remember in the Marvel, in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that they sort of made a movie that felt like it was different from a typical superhero story. Like this yeah. was political thriller, call it whatever you want. It was a different kind of story that featured superheroes. Right which I thought was really, really cool. Yeah. And I, I love, yeah. Um, yeah. And I love to the concept of legacy, which is something we'll talk a lot about in yes. this podcast. And I've blabbed on about that on these podcasts before, <laughs> but it's a big deal for me. Um, and I personally think that uh, the Russo brothers are just the best filmmakers that have touched the MCU so far. They're, yeah, they, they, they are quite good. I mean, I'm a fan of Gunn. I'm I'm very much a fan of Gunn, totally. but the Russo brothers are they're they're fantastic. And it seems like the future of the MCU is largely in the hands of those three guys of Joe yeah. Anthony Russo and James Gunn, which, which is, is fantastic. Comforting. Like yeah. here's the thing. I mean, Whedon, I liked Whedon and he did a great job with Avengers One and stuff, but I mean, honestly, if it comes down to it, I, I think I trust the Russos and Gunn a little more. Like I'm excited. Totally. I'm, and you know, Joss Whedon's probably going to go make a Batgirl movie, so I'm all for right. that too. That's great. Yeah, like he, and that, that's. I mean, we everyone has a niche, and Whedon really does a fantastic job at, uh, you know, late teen, early twenty something female characters. Right. Like that's fight vampires. Yeah, Batgirl's going to be fantastic. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's what he's good at. It's so true. I think it'll be a good movie. Well, let's talk about qual- uh, story depth. Yeah, I mean, that's also a ten. Like I think I think it did. Uh, here's the thing, and I think because it was a different type of movie, right? So, if I'm looking at the Marvel movies that I wouldn't give a ten to on story depth, uh, like Thor, Thor one and two, I might not give a ten on story depth. I might give them an eight or a nine, mm-hmm. um, you know, because they are somewhat basic. This one has, I mean, th- there's a lot of layers going on here, like, and it's touching a lot of. A lot of situations, and it brings up a lot of questions that you know we're going to be talking about as well. But um, and like Civil War, the, the the third in the Cap trilogy, you know, brings up the whole idea of registration and things like that. Um, you know more, but this brings up some huge questions that are incredibly relevant about protection and things like that. I think there there's a lot of intricacy. There's there's character development there. I don't. I don't think any of the main characters come off as one dimensional in this one. Not even. No. You know, some people have said that Falcon does, but I, I don't see it. I think they put a little bit of depth to him. So, I mean, I definitely give it a ten. I agree. And Falcon, I think, has more depth in this one than he does in the ones that come after it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm with you. I give it a ten too. You're right. It does explore a lot of a lot of themes and asks a lot of questions. And what I love about it is it seems to approach them 
from both sides. Like you really get a sense of of what the you know the villains take on certain things. I'm trying not to spoil stuff here, but, no, but you really get a sense of the villains, and then also a sense of Cap and Falcon and and uh, Black Widow too. Yeah, like it's a it's a fair assessment to go ahead and say in the movie that like at no point in time do you think that Hydra is the good guy, right? right? Like you, you know, no. but they do a good job making it to where like when I was growing up watching GI Joe, like I knew Cobra was the bad guy. I didn't know why Cobra was the bad guy. They were just bad guys. Like here, they've they've given Hydra. There's a reason why they're doing what they're doing. Like they never paint them in a positive light. But there's a believable reason that isn't that their mommies didn't hug them enough right. while they're doing what they're doing. Like, and I think that's, that's very helpful, and that makes for a very compelling bad guy. Totally. Totally. Matt, do we even need to talk about likelihood to refer? I mean, I have referred. Like, I, mean, I know, after, right? I'm like, I watched it twice. I took different, you know, in the theaters, I took different people with me each time. Like, I... Yeah, no, I mean, I, I imagine we're both going to say we referred the heck out of this movie. I think we'll probably just be frustrated that we have to cap it at 10. Right. <laughs> right. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I mean, <laughs> but based on that movie alone, I was able to get people to see, you know, a movie about a talking tree and a raccoon. Right. Like, like Marvel. Because that was the very next one, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. And so that's where it's like people. And that was a great thing because so many people were skeptical about a talking tree and a raccoon. And after Winter Soldier, they were like, but Marvel can probably do anything, and I'm on board. Right. And uh, they did. And then after that, it was like, okay, so how about Ant-Man? <laughs> yeah. How about a movie about Ant-Man? Like Marvel's Aquaman in many ways. Uh, you know, just when it comes to level of coolness. Because Namor is actually yeah. Marvel's Aquaman, and right, right, he's right. awesome. Um, but, I mean, so that's where, no, I mean, I, I think Refer, gosh, based on that, the other movies get get referred like crazy. I know. Yeah, there's no movie in the MCU that I wouldn't give a 10 on referral, I think. Yeah, no, without a doubt. There's just, there's no reason not to watch any of them. They're all great. Right, there's no, Um, there's literally no reason. Hey, uh, so, okay, I'm going to throw a few extra questions at you here. I didn't send these to you ahead of time. Sure, are these spoiler free or not? They should be, yes. Let's try to keep these spoiler free. Okay, then I will not spoil anything from a movie that came out three years ago. (laughs) <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> oh, I basically what I'm saying at this point in time is I'm not going to spoil anything, but if this will spoil the movie, I'm judging the heck out of you right now. Like, I, I can't imagine anyone would be listening to a story geek podcast and not have seen this movie. But on the rare chance that we're just now indoctrinating someone into geekdom, I shall spoil nothing. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. No, it's and, you know, we're keeping to our word. We said it will be spoiler free. It right. will be until we warn you otherwise. What do we got? Um, so, you know, as I was saying, we just did a Guardians of the Galaxy podcast and we sort of got off onto talking about our favorites within MCU and stuff like that. So, and I've already said that this is my favorite movie within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm curious, what is yours? Okay. So, I mean, each one is, to some extent, I mean, each one brings something and there are a lot of ones that have good arguments that can be made for it. Like, um... Is this going to be like a five-way tie? Uh, no, not necessarily. I'm going to try. <laughs> okay. I'm going to build to what my actual answer is. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but here's the thing: like, I think Avengers One did an excellent job showing us that a good team superhero movie can happen. Like, 
when you watched X-Men 1 and X-Men 2, everyone hates X-Men Last Stand, except for me. I really liked it. I don't hate it. Oh, good. I see it as inferior, but I don't hate it. But in, in, in all of those movies, like... They weren't actually X-Men movies. They were Wolverine movies with the X-Men featured heavily. (laughs) Right. Right? Like, Avengers gave us an actual superhero movie in which all the pieces mattered. Yes. And they did so well. Um, Age of Ultron, I actually really, really enjoyed Age of Ultron because it it did what X3 did in my mind, which was gave me an actual comic book on screen. Mm -hmm. Like, the problem with why people didn't like Age of Ultron and why people don't, you know rally around x3 in a lot of ways is because there were too many characters there were this 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 which works great in a comic book as a comic book fan that gave me a comic book on screen and i loved it um ant-man was hilarious and great uh in many ways civil war i mean i'm so excited for the new spider-man yeah um you know the plot in civil war yes some of the things are you know a bit unbelievable and people were acting a bit perhaps odd and irrational but Black Panther was amazing. Spider-Man, great, all that. But I, I honestly think Guardians is my favorite of them because they did a great job making a relatively obscure group uh, matter and be very likable. Like, I mean, Chris Pratt is one of the one of the best comedic a- and now action actors in Hollywood. I love Parks and Recreation um, and what he did there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was a fan of the Guardians characters before the movie, and I think they did a really good job with it. They did a great job channeling the late 70s, early 80s sci-fi vibe, um, which is a, an era that I like. So big fan of, I think Guardians is probably my number one. I hear that a lot. I think that's Jay's favorite, too. Well, I know that's Jay's favorite, too. Yeah. Um, and it's way up there for me. I love Guardians, and I, I grew to love it more even watching it in order to podcast on it. It's but, good. And, um, I mean, but even even that, like, so I'm listing off these things. I mean, the fact is, uh, after Ben Affleck ruined Daredevil, the fact <laughs> that we have an amazing Daredevil on Netflix right now, you know, both seasons are great. Um, and you I know think what I I'm, think is hilarious about that? I, that? I read somewhere that the only reason he did Daredevil yeah. is because he figured, this is the closest I'm ever going to get to playing Batman. <laughs> which, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> that, that uh, yeah, no, because he, he got a lot closer. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, that he did. Um, I mean, I think Iron. I'm only halfway through Iron Fist right now, and it's it's yet to turn me off. Apparently, in episode seven, I'll, I'm going to start hating it. But right <laughs> now, I really like it. Um, I loved Luke Cage, which surprised me because I don't care for the character. Um, and Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones suffers the same issue that Rogue One suffers, which is Jessica Jones is a great six episode series stretched into a good 12-episode series. Just like Rogue One is an amazing hour-and-a-half movie and a pretty good two-hour one. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, I mean, I think I, I'm just, I love what Marvel's doing. Yeah. Who would you say is your favorite MCU character? <sighs> um, I mean, it's look, a hard it'd, be, one. it'd be hyper-cliche to say Iron Man, um, but Robert Downey Jr. is doing some great work, but he's not actually acting is the problem, right? Like, it's... Yeah. Uh, He's, he's just being him. Uh, like, Vin Diesel's doing more acting in the Marvel comic universe, <laughs> uh, Marvel cinematic universe. Um, you know, honestly, though, when it comes down to just the, the flair and the acting, it, I, 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 mean, I love what, Lo- what they've done with Loki. Mm. Like, I think Loki is just an exceptional, he's a multi-dimensional villain. Um, 
He has just I really enjoy. I mean, obviously, I I like Hulk not because of the depth of his character, just because they've done a great job with Hulk, and I like when he punches stuff. Uh, yeah. But I think Hulk. What about you? What, who, who's your your go to? You know, I I I couldn't settle between two, so I'm going to do the cop out and pick a tie. But sure. um, for me, it's between Cap and Bucky. Okay, Cap yeah, Winter Soldier. Um, probably has a lot to do with the whole legacy thing. You know, Batman and Robin, Cap and Bucky. Right. But um, and here's the thing: what what Marvel with this what these movies did with Captain America? Like growing up, I've always Captain America, uh, Cyclops, uh, Superman, that whole because they're all basically the same character. Like mm-hmm. I've I've all I've never been able to tolerate them. Like I was I started buying Superman comics when they killed him because I was like finally right like he's so obnoxious like captain america i was like why are you even around we don't need you like you're an annoying goody two shoes like i don't want a boy scout um and yet these movies actually made me like captain america like they did a really good job presenting him in a way that was not hokey that was super believable uh chris evans did an excellent job much better cap than human torch yes well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I I actually completely agree with that because I wasn't interested in Captain America at all before this either. I think the only thing that I had read that he was even in before this was the Civil War comic series. Yeah. Um, which I loved, but right. it's not specifically because of him. And, you know, if your issue with him is that he's not flawed, then that's the story to read because he is flawed in that one. Right, no, without a doubt. But both he and Iron Man act incredibly out of character there. But that's because right. Bendis doesn't know how characters work. <laughs> but he gets his hand on a lot of Marvel stuff, so that's a bummer. He does. Like, I, I got to say, big ups to Bendis. Like, I'm going to say the same thing about him that I say about, like, Sarah Silverman. Like, I wish I could get as popular being not good at something as they have. <laughs> Like, like I'm really impressed. Like Bendis is Bendis is okay. He 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 writes funny dialogue. He just takes every character and whatever team he's on makes every character fall into the same trope. Oh, uh, okay. Like when he did X Men, when he did Avengers, when he did Guardians, they were all the exact same. Did he write Civil War Two? Um, I don't think he did Civil War Two. Okay, I can't remember at the moment. I read it and I really liked it, but I can't remember who wrote it at the moment. I don't remember. Um. So anyway, yeah, I, for me, it's Cap and Bucky. Nice. Um, all right, I'll just hit you with one more. We talked about this on the Guardians podcast, too, but because um, we were kind of talking about, in my opinion, Ronan is a weak villain. Sure. And so we sort of got into a, a discussion about villains. So I'm curious for you, who is the best and who is the worst villain in the MCU? Okay, well, I mean, if if Loki is, is one of, what I think one of the better characters, I mean, I, I think Loki's a pretty good villain. Like, I think totally. I, I like what they've done with him. Um, I mean, and Marvel catches a lot of flack for the one dimensionality of their villains. Um, you know, and to some extent, though, so I'm thinking of, I mean, Iron Man 1 didn't, I mean, it almost didn't even have a villain. Like, I mean, yeah, he had Iron Monger, but. Which know, they didn't more, even say in the movie, did they? Right. No, it was, it was more like Tony Stark fighting his own existential crisis, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, Whiplash kind of had some stuff going for him, I guess. Uh, I do think that, uh, you know, Malketh or whatever the Deep Elf in, in Thor 2 was, I thought he was, I think he gets more flack than is necessary, because I do think he had a, a motivation, and it was destroy everything. And he was creepy. Uh, right. Like, they did a good job making the yeah. Ninth Doctor super creepy. Um, you know, Ronan, yeah, Ronan was weird. He did feel a bit like a uh, an impish child. 
almost. Like, I would have liked more... Because, I mean, Ronan the Accuser is fantastic. But, and his character usually is much more... Uh, not exactly the direction they went with him. You know, he's usually mm-hmm. more a villain based on necessity, right? He's he's kind of like Boxer from Animal Farm. Like, even if I don't agree with this, I will follow my rules because the rules are what matter. Um, so I, I, I was a little unhappy with what they did with Ronan uh, in general. Um, you know, in, in you know, Winter Soldier, the villain... That's the thing, like, it's not Cap punching out a bad guy. Uh, okay, actually, here's the thing. Like, let's just go ahead and uh, I'll say this. I do think one of the better villains in the Marvel Universe... Um, I think Zemo was a great villain. He's my favorite. Like, like I know it's it's supposedly like I'm, everyone's supposed to think like he was he was horrible and stuff, but he did an excellent job. Like I think I think the way that he just played mind games with everyone was excellent. And I don't totally. think Ultron was bad. Like I don't think that villains are as bad as people say that they are. So to that, the weakest villain, I'm going to give it to Yellow Jacket. Yeah, me too. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, he, because really he was basically the bad guy from Iron Man 1, only yeah, exactly. I cared about him a lot less. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, I get the whole, the trope of your villain being a twisted version of your hero. Right. That's a good way to go. But he didn't even seem like, that didn't stand out at all. He just seemed like a like a selfish, pissed-off carbon copy, sort of. Yeah, I mean, like, like in a way, the way it kind of came off to me, um, and again, I loved Ant-Man. It was funny. Paul Rudd's excellent. Um, it just came off to me, like, every year when a new Mega Man game came out when I was growing up, I didn't care who the bosses were. Like, there would be a fire robot. There would be a water robot. <laughs> there would be an ice robot. That's that's who Yellow Jacket was. Like, he was just nameless fire robot, nameless ice robot. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter which one it was. He just filled that niche. Um, so yeah, of the villains, he's the one I've cared the least about. Yep, I agree with that. And as I mentioned before, my favorite is Zemo. I think he just you know when you talk about a villain who has a plan, who executes it well, and who sort of stands out as different from other villains you see, especially in the MCU. Yeah. To me, it's him. Like he didn't go you know massive power. He didn't try to bring darkness to the land. He didn't just try to protect the earth by by killing it. He just wanted mission report December nineteenth, nineteen ninety three, or was it December ninety one? I think ninety one. Yeah, you know, and it worked well. He set people against each other. Like, I mean, the effects of what Zemo did were still going to be feeling in you know the next few movies. Like, totally. So okay, well let's let's steer back towards Winter Soldier here, and let's okay. let's get into some deeper questions. Um, I've danced around this idea of legacy uh, several times now, and. Um, you know, basically what I mean by that is when I was a kid and I first started discovering comics, some of the first stuff that I discovered was like New Teen Titans and um, Crisis on Infinite Earths, which has, which has a whole bunch of legacy stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And I was just blown away by this idea that Robin grew up to become his own man and that he had stories beyond just being a sidekick. And it just fascinated me and I've loved it ever since. And obviously we see that with Cap and Bucky as well. Um, The dynamic's a little different in the movie than it is in the comics, because obviously in the comics, it's similar to Batman and Robin, right? Like, Bucky Mm -hmm. is younger than Cap, and he's kind of like a protege, and that's different in the movie. They're best friends. Um, So with all of this in mind, I'm just curious from you, what do you think about the concept of legacy and superhero storytelling 
Is it important to superhero storytelling? And uh, how well do you think it works in this movie specifically? Yeah, okay, so so take the two questions kind of separately. Like, um, you know, so one of the things, and it, it probably is just, you know, I'm, I'm more... I've always been more of a Marvel fan with that, that set. I've, I've always had a deep, uh, deep affection for Batman. Um, but, you know, DC has always done legacy a little better in that mm. um, they've had, uh, you know, what they even call legacy characters. Like, depending when you start reading comics with DC, your character, like, the secret identity of your character, for the most part, is going to be different. I mean, Bruce Wayne, <laughs> for the most part, has been Batman. Uh, Clark Kent has always been Superman. But, like, I started reading Green Lantern when Kyle Reidner took over. Me too, like, yeah. And Kyle is my Green Lantern. And when they brought back Hal Jordan, I was like, why am I even supposed to flip and care anymore? <laughs> like Hal Jordan went crazy and became a bad guy. And so Kyle's my lantern and he's friends with Guy Gardner um, and John, uh, John Stewart. But uh, I don't care about Hal, you know, same with Wally West, Barry Allen, you know? And so, yeah. so then they've started bringing, you know, kind of this back, but they have this legacy thing. Marvel never really did that. And they've started doing it and they're kind of forcing it in a hard way. And, uh, you know, actually in Legacy, I mean, um, DC tried to undo it, and that's part of why they're doing Rebirth, because they undid all their, all their Legacy stuff, and their sales started plummeting. Believe because... me, I could talk about that for hours just by itself. <laughs> you know, and and they... I, I appreciate some of what they're doing with Rebirth. I like seeing some, I like, I, I like seeing sort of, quote-unquote, my Wally West again. Right. But it's not the same. They have not recaptured it. Gotcha. Well, hey, it sounds like maybe after Marvel's uh, new Generations things hit in September and Rebirth gets fleshed out a little bit more, that's something that we can talk about sometime in the fall yeah. and see how they play, how they equalize. Totally. Um, but so I think legacy is an important thing. And one of the reasons I think it's interesting is like with DC, that meant that there was character progression. You know, Marvel has always had this issue of, um, you know, a sliding scale in which they would randomly de-age people. Like Kitty Pride at one point in time was like mid-20s. And then they realized that they want to tell her stories, and so they de-aged her to, like, late teens. And so there's this weird sliding scale where there's almost never growth. Like, right now, Spider-Man's experiencing growth, that he's kind of becoming, like, an Iron Man-type tycoon or something like that, which doesn't make any sense with any Parker luck that we've seen, (laughs) you know, before that. Um, But it's a neat new way to kind of have a dynamic. Uh, I think Legacy, though, is an important idea to understand that these heroes are not just fighting villains, but they're also training people to fight evil once they're gone. Like, I think that's a neat concept and a neat idea that can be done well. Um, And that's one thing I always thought worked so well with Batman, was that Batman, I mean, though less funny, Batman was basically the Dr. Cox of the DC universe, right? (laughs) And even though he pretended to hate everybody, he had Robin, we'll call JD. You know, he had Elliot, we'll go ahead and call that the Huntress. You know, like... He had this group that he berated constantly, and yet they all loved him. And truthfully, he would do anything for him. Like, it's very much an important thing there. Um, in this situation with Cap and Bucky, like, I do think they're setting up something well with the fact that there needs to be a Captain America. And who knows where that's going to go in the near future. Sure, yeah. But the idea that there is a prolonged friendship here where one person cares enough about the other that they're going to go out of their way to do everything they can to help redeem this character, to help bring the good out of this character, um, I think that's an important thing. Like, I think this idea of legacy becomes incredibly important, and I think as the cinematic universe goes on, we're going to see that more and more. Totally. Yeah, and 
with Captain America, are we going to see it in Bucky? Are we going to see it in Sam Wilson? Who knows? But right, I'm sort of rooting for Bucky. Yeah, I, I like what they did with with Bucky, and I think it'd be a good way to go ahead and bring kind of bring him around full circle. I mean, in the comics, when they brought Bucky back, like it was this revolutionary thing because um, the original Green Goblin, Uncle Ben, and Bucky were the three people who stayed dead. Like everyone else started coming back, those three don't come back, um, and then two of them came back. Uh, and Norman Osborn, when he came back, it wasn't that impressive. But Bucky, they did this huge thing with, and it was insane. Um, and I think they, they did a good job channeling that energy in this movie. Um, and I hope it all automatically, or like ultimately rather, manifests in him taking on this mantle of the person who worked to redeem him. Right. Yeah, that's that's another one of the things that impresses me so much about this movie is the fact that they were willing to tackle a legacy storyline on just the second film. Right. You know, like a lot of times people would think that you have to lay all this groundwork first. You got to make three or four movies before you can do something like this. And they were like, nope, we're just going to go ahead and do it. We're just going to dive right into one of the best stories that Cap has and we're going to just do it well. And they did. Now, one thing to look at also, and I don't want to de- you know, you know, denigrate the choice there, but there also are not many good Captain America stories. Fair. You know, like when it came down, because like number three, when they initially announced number three, they jokingly said Captain America Serpent Society. They worked up a graphic <laughs> and stuff as that. And like I was pumped because I thought the Serpent Society, I was like, that's actually a really cool villain. Like I like it. A group of villains each named after a different snake. Let's go for it. <laughs> um, and then they went with Civil War and I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm a little disappointed, but it makes sense because – Spider-Man has some huge, you got Craven's Last Hunt, you got the birth of Venom, like you have all these, you know, things, X-Men, you know, massive stories. Captain America, Winter Soldier really is a defining, like if you're thinking of, think of the Captain America stories from the comics that you remember. Winter Soldier is the one you remember because it was great. The one where Cap turns into a werewolf, you remember because they turned him into a werewolf. Or I don't remember. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, they turned him into a werewolf in the early 90s. They also turned him into a woman one time. What? Yeah, the early ni- the early nineties were not nice. The, like, like the, from ni- from between Acts of Vengeance and Operation Galactic Storm, Captain America didn't really know what was going on. They killed him at the end of Civil War, right? Uh, yes, kill of course in quotation marks because totally. they really like did something else. Him and Batman had the same fate basically. Like they right. went back in time <laughs> yeah. or something for a while. And- yeah. Yeah, and it certainly seems like now in Marvel Comics that they're doing all these stories with the MCU in mind. Like Civil War Two, I don't know if you've read that, but it's very MCU centric. There are some other characters in it that the like the MCU is not allowed to touch, like some of the X Men and stuff like right. that. But it's largely Avengers characters, Captain Marvel, the Inhumans. Yeah, the people focus, that they're pushing focuses all around these characters that are in the MCU limelight now. Right. And then they've got this new Secret Empire storyline going on where Cap mm-hmm. has secretly been an agent of Hydra all along because somehow his history got changed. Yeah, Cubic or whatever her name is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It certainly seems like they're throwing all these stories out there with the, the hope of being able to use them in the future. But who knows? We'll see. Hey, no, it makes sense. The, the, the best ones kind of get linked to there. Like, I'm excited that Thor is touching on Planet Hulk. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and if it w- if Marvel owned the distribution rights to Hulk, I'm sure we would have seen a Hulk Planet Hulk movie, but they don't. <laughs> so they found a workaround. That's right. Because, again, there's not many good Thor stories. 
at least not ones that people are going to care about like I care about it, right? Yeah. Like, like I would have loved to see Blood and Thunder on screen. But when you ask people about Blood and Thunder, I'm the person who remembers that story. So it's not going to happen. Go. That makes sense. Right. Um, well, before we move on from Legacy, just how do you feel it works in this movie, given the idea that, you know, it's not, Cap and Bucky are not like, mentor mentee so much as best friends who sort of influence each other yeah i mean i think it i think it works i think it works pretty well like i i think it i think it gets fleshed out i think i think it sets up what happens in civil war more um Mm -hmm. like i think it's building towards some some heavy legacy things but even that final um you know post-credit cut scene where bucky's just going back looking at the world war ii stuff like that really oh wait, no that was the first cut scene not the final one anyways either way no that was the final one the first one was the one with the scarlet witch and quicksilver okay yeah um yeah so i think that that brings up this idea that that bucky's kind of realizing he's part of something more uh in some way so i think i think it, i think it works pretty well yeah i think so too i i actually really love it i love how when things start off in the first avenger Bucky is arguably he's the hero exactly and Cap is looking up to him right and then you know when Cap overcomes things and becomes who he is not just because of the super soldier serum and becomes this big buff hero but I think it's really about his perseverance and his attitude and who he is as a person inside right is what really inspires Bucky and now you kind of see that shift and I think it's really interesting Mm mm-hmm Star Wars fans, we are giving away two very special Star Wars prizes to Reclamation Society email subscribers. If you subscribe to the Reclamation Society's email updates, you are entered to win the Art of Rogue One. But thanks to a special donation from Daryl Smith, who is also one of the other hosts of the Story Geeks podcast, we have a second prize, a never-before-watched copy of The Phantom Menace on VHS. That means we have two super cool collector's items, and all you have to do is subscribe to our email updates. Which, by the way, you should do anyways. So, go visit www.reclamationsociety.org, and you can enter to win there. The link is in the show notes, so go subscribe now! Okay, let's move on to something darker here. Let's get Let's dark. talk about Project Insight, which is frightening. Right. <laughs> Just to think about the implications of something like that in real life. You gotta love so, some thought crime. Yeah, just a little review for our listeners. So Project Insight is basically the program that Shield was developing, and actually as we come to find out, Hydra within Shield was developing um with these like super decked out um helicarriers that are designed to anticipate people who could become threats in the future and essentially kill them now so that that never happens. Um, Which is a frightening idea, this idea of prejudgment. You know, the punishment comes before the crime. Um, Obviously, that's scary in the movie, but if we look at real life, what do you think are the implications of something like that, of prejudging people before committing a crime? Man. Or if you take it more to a personal level too, just like making prejudgments on your friends and relationships and stuff like that. 
well, you're getting into so this is where this is where I love what comic books are doing, right? Like, I think anyone who gets involved in the uh, gun control debate needs to read Civil War One, not the movie Civil War, but needs to read the comics Civil War One because basically, mm-hmm. it's just the right to bear arms um, expressed massively. Right. Right. And that's where I think these questions come up here. So this idea of what about this prejudging type thing? Well, okay, the right to bear arms, like to some extent, it does, uh, you know, it begins to ask some of the same questions. Um, You know, it begins to ask the question of what what makes something good and bad? Um, Because let's say that I, uh, I, I desire to do something evil, but I choose not to for some other reason. So therefore, I don't do it. So I'm not going to get punished for it. However, are the set are the laws jobs merely to keep me from acting a certain way, or is it to help mold me into being a certain type of person? Because if if it's to make me a certain type of person, there might be an argument that can be made that says I need to be punished for those thoughts. At the same time, isn't thinking something not quite the same as doing something, right? So, like when you I mean when you look at, like when you look at the New Testament and when when Jesus says, um, "Whoever looks at a woman with lust in her eyes, uh, in his eyes, uh, has uh, has committed adultery with her already," like that's not like I've never heard a, pr- a pastor get up there and basically say, "Hey, married men, if you've ever lusted at a woman, you've already committed adultery, so go for it." Because you've crossed <laughs> right. that Rubicon, right? Like it's clearly a speaking thing. So it does seem to be that just because someone has a potential for evil, it even is inclined toward evil, doesn't necessarily mean that it's the same that they will do evil. Right. Um, but gosh, if you could go back in time and kill Hitler, yeah. right? Like if you could go back in time and kill kill Hitler. But it's interesting. Every time I ask my philosophy class that, would you go back in time and kill Hitler? Like, I usually get 90% of the class that says totally. But if I ask, will you go back in time and kill Hitler as a baby, that number drops huge. Sure. Um, which is interesting because I was like, well, why? Like, you, you know what he's going to end up being. Like, do you think if you go back in time and take baby Hitler and, like, raise him somewhere else, something else might happen? Like, I'd, I mean, is that your argument? Do you want to kidnap baby Hitler instead? Um, like, what, what what do you want? Um <laughs> You know, and so, you know, the the question, and it's, it's the question that Minority Port gave us. And obviously, anytime, anytime this idea is presented, I can't think of an example right now where this is presented positively. Right. Right. Like, there's not a story in which, kind of in the same way, like, if we're looking at worldviews, um, a strict nihilism, you know, a strict nihilistic worldview in which someone doesn't believe anything matters and there's really nothing that actually exists everything is just kind of an accident of some sort um there's not really a narrative that's told in which there is a protagonist that is likable and drawn to and winsome who is a nihilist the closest you come is gregory house on the tv show house Hmm. beyond that the nihilist is always the bad guy the nihilist is apocalypse the nihilist is voldemort um you know it's like and so you have that kind of thing and so the question is, is that because it's hard to write or is that because there's not a compelling narrative you can make to make that character interesting? So there's not a story that's been told in which, you know, um, predicative judgment or, or justice is presented positively. Right. Is that because it's a hard story to tell or is it because it's an impossible story to tell? 
Um, that I don't know because obviously we could nip a lot of things in the bud if we can just say, well, we can punish this person because I know what they're going to do. However, that begins to make everyone almost completely deterministic. And I don't know that we could ever know what people are going to do prior to them doing it. Yeah. Well, and what I love in a good story arc is some element of redemption. Right. And so if we're just going to focus on prejudgment and all of that, then we're never even going to get to redemption. We're not even allowing for the possibility. Yeah. Unless you try and like intervene and say you were going to do this now, uh, let's let, like, and the person goes, oh my gosh, I can't believe that was going to be who I was. Uh, and then they snap out of it and aren't that guy anymore. But even then right. you're not redeeming something. You're just saying dodged a bullet. Right. Totally. And if you sort of flip the coin on yourself, like I'm not perfect. I've hurt people. I continue right. to hurt people. And I want, you know, I want people to think of me as worthy of sticking by and providing the opportunity of redemption for me. Yeah. So no, for sure. Yeah. Um, well to go into this a little bit further, so let's put it in the context of Hydra. So, um, in the scene in the bunker, when they discover that, um, professor Zola has been sort of had his consciousness downloaded into this computer because why not? Right. And because he's, and then he's unfolding Hydra's entire plan, which is very convenient, but just in, such, in, such a weak supervillain move. Like it is, but in this movie, I don't even care. Like I love right. it. <laughs> <laughs> and he even says he, I think he says, he's like, ah, there's no point in not. Cause you'll be dead in a minute anyway. You know? Right. That's where, you don't know, like having read so many comics and watched them, even, like there, there have been situations in my life where someone has actually said, well, I mean, it doesn't matter because this person's going to fail anyways. And I've looked at them and said, no, no, don't give them anything. It's going to hurt you in the end. Just make sure they're <laughs> dead. Make sure it happens. It's a I foolish know. thing to do. Yep. But learn from Hydra. <laughs> like, yeah. But yes, learn anyways, from but, the Batman 66 TV series. Right. <laughs> learn from any time there's been a villain. The, the, I mean, the, the Incredibles. Don't monologue. Like, it's a bad <laughs> idea. Yeah. Yep. But anyways, hey, I'm sorry. So they got to give that information that. to us somehow, right? They do. Um, so Azola says in that scene, he says that Hydra was founded on the belief that humanity cannot be trusted with its own freedom. So how true do you think that is in real life? Not so much in the world of the MCU, but how yeah. true do you think that is in real life? No. So that's one of those interesting statements because you hear that statement and you know that the author's intent in that statement is so that the audience will hear it and go, that's not true, right. and like rally against it. But, um, you know, Avengers 1, you have that scene where Loki comes out and he makes everyone, at, you know, because he has an art gallery. By the way, if you're in a movie and you go to an art gallery, something bad's happening. <laughs> uh, like, I mean, that's just because that's the only time anyone's ever at an art gallery. The Joker's coming in, Loki's coming in, someone's dying. Yeah, um, that's not good. You know, so Loki comes in and has everyone bow, and he says, this is your normal state. Humanity was made to be ruled, right? And the whole point there was everyone's supposed to be like, no, that's not true. But that's 100% dead on. Like, humans desire ruling. And I don't care if you're coming at this from a uh, theistic point of view and you think that that ruler is God or made in his image. If you're coming at it from an atheistic point of view and we developed religion and political structures because we needed a father figure to guide us, we inherently want to be ruled over. Like, Loki's not wrong in that as a villain. Mm. 
So Zola's statement here that humans cannot be trusted with their own freedom, you know, here's the thing. There's a reason anarchy doesn't work. Yeah. Right? Like like that that punk rock 13-year-old who's like anarchy. You no, I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to trust the history of western civilization to someone who's just hitting puberty, right? Like that's not the way that this works. So anarchy doesn't make sense. So if you're looking at like the three big political philosophers, Locke, Hobbes, and Rousseau, you know, I mean Hobbes's general idea, the fact that we live in chaos and so we need a leviathan, a third party, a political structure over us who is guiding us and arbitrating and maintaining order. Um, there's something to that. Um, now, I know that's that's a hyper un-American thing to say, right? You know, and when it comes down to it, I want to have as much freedom as possible. But every time I have a freedom, my freedom infringes on somebody else's freedom. Yeah. You know, that's the issue that we're running into right now when it comes to like the, um, you know, the issue of religious, like depends on how you say it. Is it religious rights, LGBT rights? Because now in the conversations, what they're looking at is that if one has rights, the other doesn't have rights or what infringes on what. As soon as my freedom to carry a gun on a plane infringes on your freedom not to be scared on a plane, <laughs> right? Like we have a problem. Someone's going to have to be less free. Um, and as society has grown, we have more and more need for rules, right? Like um, I'm a fan of board games, which we're on a geek podcast. This should not be shocking, right? No. And like one of my like one of the games that my friends and I love to play is this game called Descent, which is this great game. Um, the second edition is not as good, but it's still adequate. Um, and when it first came out, it was great. And then over the years, they've they've released like 25 pages of FAQ. Because people have found exploits and problems and questions that they never thought they'd have to answer hmm. um, to the question. Well, that's where we're at with society right now, right? Like, we all have a bunch of freedoms. And now it's like, okay, hold on. I didn't even think that anyone would think that I have to make a rule about this. Okay, so now here's a new rule. Um, we'd like to think that humanity could be trusted with their freedom. And if everyone was trustworthy, if everyone was moral, it seems like we could. Yeah. But I think Hydra has a point, right? Like, that's what makes Hydra a decent villain is that laws do keep us safe to some extent. I think yeah. we have to find this balance between um, everyone has absolute, complete, total libertarian freedom and a full totalitarianist. Um, but somewhere in the middle there, we got to find an area of. I mean, I would love the freedom to blare my music at 1 a.m. while I'm doing dishes. Actually, I, I do that. I do that because my neighbors have not complained. So I don't know if they don't hear it or if they're just super polite, but I'm rude. Um, but if they came over and said, hey, you got to stop doing that, then I, I will stop and my freedom will be infringed upon. But their freedom to sleep, right, has has been maintained. Right. Um, and that's that's important for order. So I think there's a balance between chaos and order. And if everyone could be completely trusted with their own freedom, we'd be in full chaos. What do you think? Yeah, no, I actually I don't disagree with the statement in and of itself either. Um, I think history has shown that humanity can't be trusted with its own freedom. Um, you know, we have a history of imperfection. We have a history of abuse of our freedoms. We made the Nissan Aztec, <laughs> right? Like we clearly and the Twilight films. <laughs> like we we clearly need to be shepherded. It's true. It's true. We're not we not we're not awesome. Um, and, you know, from a Christian worldview, obviously, there was the fall. We are flawed. We are imperfect. Yeah. 
And so I don't have a problem with the statement, humanity cannot be trusted with its own freedom. The question for me becomes, who, who can it be trusted with? Right. And Hydra is not the answer to that, obviously. I mean, they're evil, but even just from the perspective of their people. So if we have this history of imperfection and flaw, then none of us can be trusted to control. Yeah. So, you know, in my mind, only God would be the one who can be trusted to control. And right. Hydra is far from God. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. Like, it's it's true. If, if humanity is part of the problem, we can't have a human be the answer. Yeah. So, I'm you know, I'm glad we have government. I'm glad we have some form of rule and order. But I'm also glad that that government has checks and balances and... You know, it can get corrupt. It probably is corrupt, and those things definitely happen, but there isn't quite absolute power. Yeah. Um, as, mu- as much as either MSNBC or Fox News like to make it sound like there is on the other side. <laughs> right. So, and, there, you know, there's another question coming up, and we'll get into that a little right. bit more, too. <laughs> but um, I, th- I think just as people, we do need to realize that that we don't have the ability to control everything. We don't have the right to control everything. And so um, we need to sort of foster community. We need to be willing to trust each other rather than try to control each other to kind of make it through. No, totally. Um, all right, let's let's uh, let's tear apart another Zola quote here. He also let's says... Do it. Zola gave us some good stuff. He did, he did. That It may be a bunch of exposition, but it was good exposition. <laughs> um, he says, Hydra created a world so chaotic that humanity is finally ready to sacrifice its freedom to gain its security. Mm. Um, so obviously the MCU is a heightened world, right? There's superheroes, there's supervillains, there's aliens, there's other dimensions, there's other realms, there's stuff that we don't really have to deal with in our real lives on a day-to-day basis. But I think this balance between security and freedom is very real in our country. Yeah. And it's becoming more and more tenuous. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is sort of, which side do you lean towards? What's more important, freedom or security? Yeah, no, I think that I mean that that that's going to line up, kind of a little a little close to what what we just did before. There's got to be some type of balance there between the two. But the the the, the freedom security thing, like as I'm thinking through that, I'm thinking through this. I think it was a late '90s movie. I can't, I can't remember. It might have been called Martial Law. Actually, I don't know. But I, I think Denzel Washington's involved, and he has this scene where he's talking about shredding the Constitution a little bit. Oh, um, the siege. The siege. There it is. Yeah, so Bruce it's Willis. Not, yes. Okay. It's yeah. not called martial law, but martial law is invoked. Uh, it is. In yes. It. <laughs> um, you know, and in it, you know, Bruce Willis is very much a high security person. Like, let's, you know, we're going to go ahead and put people in camps. We're going to go ahead and do, you know, this stuff. And he's like, that's what the terrorists are trying to get us to do: shred the Constitution a little bit, like. In the situation of there being a high level of chaos, what we're trying to do is, at what point in time do we sacrifice what we are because we want to implement this security type thing? Um, At the same time, gosh, after 9-11, we heightened airport security, and that might not have been a bad thing, right? Like, our airport security was nowhere near as intense as what they do in Israel. 
<laughs> um, you know, and actually, because I, I listened to a, uh, um, an Intelligent Squared, which, by the way, if you guys are looking for another podcast, which is not quite as good as the Story Geeks one, but is still excellent, oh, well. <laughs> uh, the Intelligent Squared U.S. Uh, debates are fantastic. And they had one a few years back on um, should uh, racial and religious profiling be used in airports? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was interesting the way it broke down because on one side saying yes racial and religious profiling should be used uh, was um, a Muslim American woman and on the side against it was the sister to one of the pilots who was killed on 9-11 um, and so it was a very interesting breakdown but one of the debaters said you know what when I board a plane in Israel they take two hours to search me completely to make sure that I have, have nothing on me. He goes, and it's so annoying. He's like, but as soon as I sit down on the plane, I'm very happy that they did it to the guy behind me. Right. You know, and so that's where, which do I sign more on? For me, I want more chaos uh, or freedom, <laughs> but for everyone else, I definitely want them controlled. Um, <laughs> you know, that makes life easiest, <laughs> right? Like for me, I, I buck against that. So the right balance is trying to find the amount of control that I can play, that can have placed on me that makes me not go crazy in which all of us are able to say, okay, this is probably a decent balance. And that's the eternal debate, right? That's the debate in the gun control situation. You know, the idea is I should have the right to have this, but if you have the right to have this, other people have the right to have this, and we don't want them to have the right to have this because totally. more of that could be a problem. Yeah. Um, and so that question is that, I mean, almost every debate we have comes down to, you know, do you lean right or left on this issue? Do you lean towards more liberalness uh, or more, um, you know, uh, more strictness? Um Personally, I, I'm I I try to aim for moderacy as much as possible there. But here's the thing: politically, I'm I'm super conservative, but I want as much liberty as possible. Mm-hmm. So, I guess I lean more towards uh, less towards security, more towards uh, openness. I mean, you know, when when I eventually be am a dad and have kids and stuff, I feel bad that I'm going to take him to parks and go. You know, son, when when I was your age, parks were fun. Uh, you know, we used to have things that like, like, uh, fair, uh, teeter totters and a lot of really fun things. But now you guys just have a bunch of foam because one kid in 3 million got hurt. Uh, you know, and yes, it's bad that that got hurt. And so we had to do these things and I'm, I'm exaggerating for the sake of effect, but, um, yeah, it, it's an issue of, I, I'm more inclined to say, you know, if one person in a, in a million is going to get hurt doing this thing. I'm like, that's a pretty good ratio of people who are going to enjoy it versus who's getting hurt. Right. And I lean towards the larger group, which probably makes me a jerk and a bad person. But that's where I'm at. What about you? I don't, I don't jerk and a bad person. I don't think that's true. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how you might change when you do have kids. Because I have kids, and I don't know if that was the impetus of what changed in me. And I don't even know if I was ever super, super concerned about liberties to begin with, but yeah. I definitely lean more towards the security side. Um, maybe because I'm paranoid, maybe because I do have kids and I want them to be safe. Well, maybe on this, just one question to ask, like, I don't know, do you, do you know offhand what your Myers-Briggs makeup is? No. It, it, just because one thing is like, you know, my wife and I have taken the Myers-Briggs test and we we're in the situation where we don't share any letters uh, in common. I'm an ENTP. She's an ISFJ. 
um, you know, and you know the the t- subtitle for someone who's an ISFJ is the protector, right? And so yeah. their view is to go ahead and lean much more towards let's make decisions for everyone's safety, you right. know, all the time. And my job, like the ENTP, like I'm the person who wants to like uh, explore new grounds and break new things. Like like let's just go ahead and blow up everything and see what happens. So um, that that that's much. So I just didn't know if you leaned more ISFJ, perhaps. Uh, just naturally, or if having a kids, uh, having kids, did swing that. I don't know. You know, I'm I'm not sure either. I I can't remember life before having kids very well. But <laughs> but um, I'm definitely on the protector side now. And it's funny you talk about the playground. You talk about you know saying, oh man, when I was a kid, these were so much more fun. I go to a playground and I'm like, I'm so glad playgrounds are the way they are now because it's harder for my son to get hurt than it was for me <laughs> to get hurt. <laughs> Um, and even, you know, you talk about airport lines. When I go to an airport, I'm the guy who's standing in line and I'm, you know, sure if things get crazy long, I can get frustrated and like the next guy. But for the most part, I'm the guy that's standing there going, man, I'm glad we have all this. I don't care that I have to wait. I'm going to be really nice to every TSA person I come across because I'm grateful that they're protecting me. Right. No, totally. Um, but you know, obviously that only holds up until something finally does butt up against my arbitrary sense of liberty, you right. know, which of course happens. Um, and there's no good formula or rhyme or reason for where that line is. I don't even know where it's going to be, you know? No, it, it is an interesting thing. It's like, it's one of those questions. I can, I can take a, a famous, uh, you know, a famous Christian cliche uh, and, and kind of take it and apply to certain areas. But, you know, whenever a new Christian endeavor is happening, it's going to involve a whole bunch of work and a whole bunch of time and effort and resources. You know, some very spiritual sounding person will stand up and say, well, you know, at least if one person has reached for the gospel, this has all been worth it. Um, you know, everyone's like, yeah, 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 we agree. Um, and I've always wondered at that point in time, I was like, okay, what amount of effort does someone have to do for that not to be the case? Right, like what amount of effort or something does that have to be the case? So I've always wondered, like, what amount of pain or suffering has to be inflicted to one person? So, like, if we find out somehow that if the speed limit everywhere in the U.S. on every single road was decreased to 30, it would cut down on five deaths per year. Like, do we make that change? Do we sit there and say we're saving five lives? That inconvenience is completely and totally worth it. Right. I don't think we would actually, right? Like, I think if it was like 2000, maybe, but for five, I think we're just going to go ahead and eat it. Um, And so I'm always interested in that breakdown about how many, like in what situation and what level of inconvenience and how those things work out. Uh, where we do that issue of liberty, where I say, what is it, at what point in time is other people's well being or safety worth me giving up a liberty? Right. And even when you when you are willing to give up liberties for other people, it's usually less about the masses and the world at large, and more about those closest to you. Totally. Which is, uh, I think they talk about that in Interstellar to get mm-hmm. way off topic. <laughs> um, yeah. But Matt Damon makes reference to it that nobody can relate to making decisions for the good of the world, but when you talk about it as being what's good for your family, then suddenly it means everything to you. Well, and that's where, you know, the uh, the social justice warrior 
uh, people on the internet, you know, when someone's talking about like objectifying a woman or something like that, and they'll, you know, sit there and say, you know, well, that's someone's mom or sister or daughter, you know, and they'll get all high and righteous and say, well, that person's a woman. And so it shouldn't matter if there's someone else's whatever. It's like, yeah, you're missing the point of the statement. Right. You know, you're, you're, you're for the, for the sake of making a, you know, a clickbait blog thing that no one actually cares about aside from the writers of Jezebel. Like the fact is what we're saying here is, Put yourself in a position in which you have a personal connection and relationship to this person. That's what that's what you're doing. Um, yeah, no, it is interesting. I'm much more inclined to make a decision that benefits one person I care about than two thousand people I don't know. Totally. Even if objectively utilitarian wise, benefiting the two thousand is better. That's why nepotism yeah. is scary, right? Like. Yeah, and I felt that way before I got married, and now after being married and after having kids, I'm just like, man, you know, you're so much closer to a person than you thought you could be. So, right. yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's move on. Let's get a little, let's do some conspiracy theory stuff here. Okay. Um, the Illuminati, you know, the Illuminati, right. <laughs> oh, so, okay. So the Illuminati and Marvel, they can't totally do that right, the right way in the movies. Can they? Cause they don't have access to, they, they don't have Reed Richards. They don't have, they, 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 well, they, they could they, use him. Couldn't they? If they wanted to, don't they have the rights? Namor Universal has the rights to Namor. That's why we haven't seen really? it. Really? Yeah. Because they Universal. In the, in the early in the early nineties they sold the rights to of of Namor to Universal because they were gonna try and make a movie and they never did anything with it, but they wrote the contract so loose that Universal indefinitely can hold him. Oh man, I don't even think of Universal as a player in all this. Right. I just think of like Marvel, and why, Sony, and Fox. Yeah, and why they haven't given them up, I don't know. But yeah, they can't use Reed Richards. They can't use uh, Xavier. Right. So they only have uh, T'Challa and uh, Black Bolt, which his name, what is it like? Black Bolt Boltagon or something like that. <laughs> like, so they only have, they have three, and, and Iron Man. So they have three of the, the original, or of the group. Like, I mean, granted, they could replace him with, I don't know what, do Amadeus Cho or something like that. They, they can bring Stephen in someone. Strange. Yeah, like they could do something. Which actually, Stephen Strange was involved as well, wasn't he? I think so, now that I think about it. Yeah. I, I don't know too much about it. I just know a little bit about it. Because Yes, because there were six initially, um, and then Black Panther said he wanted out, and then when they, re-came, when they reconvened, he came back in. Okay. Um, but anyways, yeah, they'd, they'd have a hard time doing that Illuminati. Yeah, they would. So, sorry, super, super geeky tangent there, people. We apologize. <laughs> Hey guys, pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing, they're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called their headphones the best headphones on the market. Better even than Bose and Beats. And you know what? I agree. They're what I use when I record this podcast. Please consider purchasing a pair using the link in the show notes. If you click the link to their website and use the promo code J, my name, my first name, J-A-Y, super simple, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. So if you need headphones or you're looking to upgrade the pair that you currently have, definitely take a look at what Urban Vinyl has to offer. Click the link in the show notes to visit their website and use my name, J-A-Y, to get the 15% discount. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now, let's get back to the show. 
My question is about Hydra and this whole idea of Hydra being rooted within S.H.I.E.L.D. for decades and then finally getting exposed and everybody realized that the government they thought that they believed in is not the government they believed in and there was a snake in the grass the whole time. And I'm just curious, how realistic do you think that is? Do you think something like that could really happen in our world? Man, I don't even know. Like, here's the thing. Like, my my wife and I, we've been watching um, the this first season of Designated Survivor. Um, yeah, I like that show. Which is a great show. Like, we... We watched the first six episodes like in one binge watch sitting. We kept we just kept staying up an hour later because like well just one more, just one more. Right. Um, and then we we didn't have any more, and we were so sad. Um, and I like what they're doing. You know, th- this idea of this overall massive huge conspiracy could it happen? Yeah, hypothetically, I think it very much could. Um, you know, and to some extent, obviously, Fox News is pretty positive. The Obama administration was doing something like that. And MSNBC is pretty positive. The Trump administration is doing something right. like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it would be a possible thing. I think I think just with the, the sheer wheels of bureaucratic ineptitude, it'd be very difficult to pull off. Right. Um, so I don't know what that would look like. And I think it'd be easy for uprisings and things to get in the way of it. Um so I don't – I mean, the, the reason in the Hydra idea that it makes sense is because it starts when the world's in a simpler time and there's this police force that begins to develop that they've built into this entire way. Um, unless you want to say, like some people do, that the Masons have been slowly but surely oh, right. you know, seeded into the American democracy – uh, what we have to do instead is we have to make up these somewhat fictitious things where, like, we'll we'll pick a villain. I don't actually know why we don't trust Russia right now. Like, I know <laughs> we don't, and I know I'm supposed to really not like Putin. And I'm not saying I like Putin. I'm just saying I don't know why I don't like him. Like, I don't know what my problem with him is. I know my problem with North Korea. Like, that's pretty right. cut and dry. Um, but I know all this concern is, you know, this pe- these people deal with the Russians. These people deal with the Russians. Since the 1980s, I thought we were okay dealing with the Russians. So uh, I- I'm not sure. But there's a lot of conspiracy theories that will begin to develop. And really, conspiracy theories are easier to develop the, la- the less you trust the people in power. Right. All right. There was a guy who came and spoke at my church, like not from the platform, but like we let him use our building once because I went and heard him talk and then went to the pastor and was like, well, we're never doing that again. Um, <laughs> I think it was 2010 or whatever. And he came and did a talk and he's like, well, we, we, we've, we've seen our last presidential election. You know, uh, Obama's already working behind the scenes to consolidate power and he'll be the first king of America and we will never see another election again. What? Oh my um, gosh. And like, and he had these fly, these fly, his name was Paul McGuire. Like he had this this thing like acquire the Maguire fire like that was his tagline, oh, um, and I keep meaning to send him an email now and be like, so what happened? <laughs> yeah, because what's your next theory, bub? There's been some stuff, um, you know, and so uh, I don't know. It's do I think a conspiracy theory like this could occur, or a conspiracy like this could occur? I mean, hypothetically, yeah, I'm, I'm a philosopher. I can't say that this is an impossibility. I can say it's a massive improbability. To yeah. the point that I'm not concerned that it will ever happen. Um, and if it did, though, I mean, okay, let's go ahead and, again, go back to the, the gun rights thing. Not because I own a gun or care about it, just because it's a good thing to look at. Um, the idea of 
why do we strengthen gun control? Well, if the government gets rid of our guns, we can't defend ourselves against guns. Therefore, they can do whatever we want. It's a fascinating concern, you know, from from the uh, the, the the more stringent right. Um, and if I thought that the government was trying to do that thing, I'd probably be more open to their concern about it. Right. I just don't necessarily find it super convincing. What about you? Do you think that the uh, there can be this this great massive conspiracy happening? Man, I'd like to think that it couldn't quite happen to the degree that it happens in Winter Soldier. Right. But, I mean, I've just been alive too long and seen too much to not not believe that we could have snakes in the grass, you know? I well, mean, And here's the thing, like, okay, so how did Hitler rise to power? Like, it was a much right. quicker thing, but he was able to do that. And there was a coup when the czars lost power in Russia, and Mussolini did, like, so... We do have historical precedents that smaller things, and by the way, I don't want to call any of those three things I listed small, (laughs) um, but like Hitler's rise to power was a 10-year plan, basically, Um, not Hydra's, you know, 50-year sleeper cell. So it's a it was it's a much it was a quicker game, yeah. Um, but we do have some presidents sit there and say, yeah, no, something like this could occur. Probably, it would just take a lot of people dedicated to a certain thing and viewing something higher themselves to pull it off. Right. Yeah, and to, I sort of think of ISIS too. Like, I'm not the most politically aware person. You know, I don't seek it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, ISIS sort of came out of nowhere. Like that surprised me. Yeah. Um, obviously we've, you know, we've dealt with other terror organizations before, but I didn't know about them until they started causing a whole bunch of ruckus and everybody else knew about them. So, right. No, it's true. Until they came up and said, hello, we're a thing. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the scary thing is there, there probably is some realism there and, you know, Hydra in the movies, they even, they come out of the Nazis yeah. And they're just kind of a hyper-exaggerated version of the Nazis. Hopefully hopefully hyper-exaggerated. Right. But maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. I, yeah. I don't know. Um, and just as a sad thing, I mean, this is a side note that's kind of tongue-in-cheek but kind of not. Like, I teach a philosophy class enough, and during it, I sometimes point and say, like, you know, like, sometimes I feel bad. For, I don't know if I should be, feel bad for Nazi Germany or for uh, Mussolini's Italy, because like both of them were really bad, right? And yet we never talk about Mussolini's Italy, right? <laughs> like it's always the Nazis, yeah, right? Like Lenin sucked, right? Like Lenin killed tons of people. We talk about the Holocaust, like. Everyone agrees Nazis super bad, but people are historically illiterate enough for us not to be able to use idiomean in the same way, mm-hmm. right? Like Hitler, yes, I dislike him. He's very bad, and I call people on YouTube comment threads his name because I dislike him. Yeah. No one gets called Mussolini on YouTube. If you do that, you will be a trendsetter. Nobody talks about traveling back in time to kill baby Mussolini. Right, right. It's exactly. It's baby Hitler. It's, it's Hitler. He's the guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. if someone did that, World War II still happens. It's just a little shorter, <laughs> right. right? Yep. Okay. Well, let's just hope that it does not happen, at least not to the degree of Hydra and S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. Makes for good storytelling. Let's it leave it does. at that. Um. 
Coming back to the movie here, another thing, a theme that I really notice in this movie is this whole idea of just throwing something out and starting over. So let me sort of talk about what I mean by that. Um, Hydra obviously wants to just basically destroy the world and build their own version of it. Um, and Alexander Pierce, who is Robert Redford's character, um, you know, he talks about that. He talks about sometimes you have to destroy the old, old world in order to build a better one. And then on a smaller scale, you know, he is the guy who orders Bucky's mind to be wiped as soon as Bucky starts to sort of malfunction after seeing Steve. Um, and then you even have Peggy Carter making a reference to, you know, sometimes the only way to move forward is by starting over. Um, so there's just this whole idea of kind of giving up, I guess, kind of like throwing out the baby with the bathwater, you know, and just mm -hmm. starting over and throwing everything out. And, I, you know, I don't immediately think that that's probably a, a reasonable way for us to sustain our lives in reality. But I, I don't know. How do you feel about that concept? How do you feel about the need to persevere when things start to break down? Yeah. So I think, you know, here's the thing. Like, I'm, you know, said I'm associate pastor, right? So I'm coming from a um, religious narrative in which redemption is the very, you know, heartbeat of everything. Like, totally. You know, the sin enters the world, and instead of just etch-a-sketching the whole thing and starting over, like, God's work is a work of redemption. Um, and it's always been a work of redemption there, therein. So in that context, gosh, I think that we need to try to be as redeeming as possible. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's that's one of the main issues we have now with marriage, you know. So 50% of marriages end in divorce, all right? That means 50% of people just weren't at a place where they thought what they had was worth redeeming. Right. And they said, let's start over. Which, by the way, I love that statistic because the other way to phrase it is 50% of marriages end in death. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right? Like, um, and no one says it that way because obviously the way that sounds is bad. Like 50% in a divorce, 50% end in death. Like it's, um, that's what I told my wife when we got married. I was like, look, this is a death match. Only one of us is getting out of this thing alive. Yeah. Um, and she didn't think it was as sweet as I did. Uh, but that's just a difference of opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, but so that's where it's like, okay, so why is there so much divorce? Because people don't think it's worth um, redeeming. On the other hand, yeah, like there's other situations in which I do think, like if you're trying to build something with Play-Doh and for some reason that thing's falling apart, yeah, you mash that crap and start over. <laughs> like you burned a turkey, you're not redeeming that turkey, right? You know, prob unless someone's jerky, right? Like you go ahead and you're going to have to start over. So I think the question is being able to tell when something has become unredeemable and the situation is when it comes to a human, is a human ever actually unredeemable? Right. Um, I'm inclined to say, no, a person is never unredeemable. Um, a union is never un unredeemable. I think there may become some institutions that there's just no redeeming or there's no need to redeem. Well, I might as well just say, okay, you know, fine. Like, I don't think we need to necessarily, you know, the Pony Express went away for a reason. There's there was no need to try to redeem the thing. It just became useless. Right. Um, you know, it's like, and so I think that's a different situation, but no, I do think there's, if something is worth redeeming, it can be redeemed. Right. Um, and so, no, that's one thing I do think just as a side note is interesting. Anytime this mind wiping thing happens in one of these stories, like there's always a situation like, I, so 
the modern narrative that we understand humans at is is as a machine. It's happened the, before the Industrial Revolution. No human was ever seen as a machine, right? It makes sense because machines weren't around now then. But we then made machines and then started talking about the human body as though it was a machine mm -hmm. because we made machines and we understand that narrative. Same thing has happened with the computer. In the 1700s, we would never talk about downloading something into our head or talking about something in our mind in a computer way because computers didn't exist. Then we developed computers, and now we understand the human mind very much like it's a computer. Not because it's like a computer, but because it's a narrative that we can use to understand the mind based on something we created. Right. And yet, every time one of these mind-wipe stories happen, something uniquely human comes out, which is the idea of someone this person cares about somehow is able to unwipe the mind. Right. Right. Like when I've accidentally deleted a document on my computer, I'm not able to like send in another computer that my computer has a relationship <laughs> with. And all of a sudden that file pops back up. It's like right. like my laptop's not like, oh, my gosh, iPod, what have I done? Like, you know, like that, that doesn't happen. And yet here with Buck, he comes in contact and all that mind wiping goes away. And so I think that's just a unique side thing that happens with even though we view the human in a, in a very inhumane, machine, computeristic mind way, when it comes to this situation of a purely human emotional connection, we throw all that crap out and say, no, there's something distinctly human about humanity, which is yeah. something worth talking about. C.S. Lewis's Men Without Chests, Abolition of Man type stuff that isn't what you're asking. But I think it's, I, 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 it, it's the first thing I thought of when I saw this idea. Um, but to, continue, to go back to my answer to your initial question, I think sometimes throwing something out is important. You know, so we talked. I talked about divorce. Look, but if you're dating someone, like I had a friend one time who was dating a girl, uh, yeah. and that relationship just went south bad, and he did everything he could to try to save it because he was saying, you know, what in my mind, we're a couple, we are committed, and so it's like we're married. So I have to redeem this. And I was like, but you're not married, so you have to decide: is this worth redeeming? Right. Like you don't have to redeem this. Yeah. Um, but in marriage, you've made commitments. This is a thing that you're saying you will always see as worth redeeming, and it's totally worth redeeming. Yeah. Um, anyways, but so I've, I've, I've been all over the place. What do you got? And, you know, it's interesting. I didn't think about it in terms of dating relationships because I, you know, for me, I sort of thought of relationship as the one area, like as you kind of alluded to before, where it's always worth redeeming. You know, mm -hmm. it's never the kind of thing where you want to throw it out. But you're right. There's been a lot of terrible dating relationships <laughs> that should not continue. That should just say, yeah, maybe I redeem a friendship or something. But, yeah, we're just going to call this it, call this done. Yeah. But I guess if you put it in that context, why are you dating somebody? I mean, right. if you're the kind of person that's just out there dating around for the fun of it, then you've got your own problems to begin with. But if you're truly dating for the purpose of finding your spouse then that's, I guess, you could, you could make an argument that you're not throwing everything out. You haven't gotten to everything yet, you know? Right, yeah. You're sure. trying to decide if this is the person to build everything with. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of comes back to what I said before about if I flip it around on myself, I want somebody to think of me as redeemable. Yeah. You know? And um, so, yeah, I think... In any lasting relationship context, marriage, you know, parent to, to children, 
um, friendships, even like some ministry connections and stuff like that, like work it out, you know, stick into it, stick through the hard stuff and work towards redemption. Yeah. And, and I think it draws a question of like, so what does a person have to do in order for us to decide that they are unredeemable? And by that, I don't mean that we villainize them in our head because it's right. easy for us to villainize someone. Um, you know, the, the, the church has done this with uh, people in the LGBT community and things. But like, what do we have to do to, the, uh, you know, and to, to now do something that I just pointed out that people do all the time? Um, you know, I, I tell my philosophy class constantly, one of the most chilling or disturbing things I've seen about Hitler is actually a home movie of him in which he was on vacation at his summer home um, with his mistress and his dog. Hmm. Um, and he was just a man in shorts playing with his dog. And if I knew nothing about him, if I had no clue who he was, I just, if I just thought he was a guy with weird facial hair, <laughs> like I would just be like, oh, hey, that's a that's a that's a neat guy with a dog. Uh, no, he's a he's a murderer, you know. But the fact is, in that situation, it's almost like there is a ray of actual humanity there. Right. You know, the the, the journals of the guy who ran. Um, ah, crap, which uh, wasn't wasn't Raven, wasn't Ravencroft and it wasn't Auschwitz. It was the third one. Treblinka, the guy who ran Treblinka, when you read his uh, journal on one page, he talks about how he, you know, exterminated 12 Jews today. And the next page, he talks about how when he got back to his room, he found out his parakeet was dead and how he wept and cried for it because he lost his bird. Um, you know, and that's an issue. It's like, okay, wow. Like what's chilling about that is yes, I'm dehumanized and I see this person is villain and he is evil and he is bad, but there's still something there. It's like, oh my gosh, maybe there's a shred of humanity there that somehow deep in this core darkness of this person, that there's something there that may could somehow be, could have been redeemed under certain situations. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's disturbing to say. But I think it's worth noting, and I think it's somewhat encouraging to realize that, gosh, no matter how far down someone falls, it's that person is still human. That person, from my perspective, is still made in the image of God, and that person still can be redeemed. And if there's a redemption there, how great the redemption. Right. Yeah, and I think that that whole idea is what really defines our heroes in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I talked about before one of my favorite things about this movie being that it sort of tells things from both sides. Yeah. So you have a lot of Hydra wanting to destroy everything, throw it out, you know, throw it out, control it, don't trust it, don't see the good in it, just make it what you want it to be. And then you have um, the whole antithesis of that being wrapped up in this friendship between Cap and Bucky. Yeah. And you have Cap's willingness to see the good in Bucky despite what's been done to him and what he's gone through. And you even see it in other relationships too. You know, he sort of affords the same treatment to Natasha. Um, and then it gets turned around on him by Sam. You know, when, when S.H.I.E.L.D. wants you to believe that Cap is a criminal, but Sam believes otherwise. Sam's like, no, I know what I know about him and I'm going to trust him and see the right. good in him. And so it's this stark difference, um, stark, no pun intended, MCU, (laughs) Uh, but it's this difference where the villains won't see it and the heroes do see it. And I just think the friendship between Cap and Bucky and just the determination to stick by Bucky that Cap has is 
beautiful. It's one of my favorite things about this movie. And even at the end of the movie when he says, I won't fight you. And he just lets himself take a beating. And, you know, he says to Bucky, he says, you're my friend. And Bucky says, you're my mission. And even then he won't give up on him. So um, this kind of faithfulness and this kind of endeavoring to see the good in people and taking that risk of trusting other people is a big part of this movie and obviously a big part of life too. So how do you, how do you feel about all of that? Yeah. Here's the thing. This movie does friendship well. Um, and our society does friendship poorly. Um, Mm. you know, even with the fact that, so ever since this movie's come out, there have been plenty of, you know, the internet, what they call shippers, uh, people on the internet, shippers basically are people who are pushing very, very, very intently for there to be a romantic relationship between two characters with force awakens. It's, you know, Finn and Poe, uh, you know, well here very much, you know, well, clearly Captain America and Bucky, they need to be in a homosexual relationship because they have strong feelings for one another. (laughs) Um, Like, and that's, and and the thing is like, so that that's okay. It's, it's trendy. It's a fat order. But one of the saddest things about that to me is not the pushing of homosexuality. That's not actually the part that's sad for me. That, that kind of is comically odd to me. Like with the idea that if I have strong feelings for something, I must be in a sexually based relationship with it. Like I love my bed, but we are just friends. Right. Uh, Like I'm not marrying my bed. Um, But the saddest thing to me is a misunderstanding of friendship. Like we're in a society that has become so shallow that people cannot have deep, vulnerable, open bonds with one another without that being confused for um, something else. Actually, uh, one of the questions. Okay, so, you know, I was a big fan of the TV show Arrested Development. Um, I really enjoyed Arrested Development seasons one, two, and three. Um, Upon a second watch, I was able to find some things enjoyable in season four. I couldn't Um, finish it. It was was rough. The second time (laughs) was a little better. But during it, there is this episode where, spoiler alerts for something on Netflix that happened a while ago, where (laughs) Job and um, what what is Ben Stiller's character, Danny Wonder? Oh, shoot. I don't remember. Anyways, they're two competing uh, magicians, and somehow they get in the situation where they end up spending time together and hanging out, and um, they develop a friendship. But since neither of them have ever had a friend before, they accidentally confuse that feeling of friendship for homosexuality. <sighs> like, And it's this, it's this really funny – and I don't know if they're trying to do social commentary there, but – that's where society's at. And we're missing out on the true depth and beauty of friendship. Like one of the things, looking at that group of writers in Britain, the Inklings, and from the uh, you know, the forties and the fifties, C. S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, Owen Barfield, mm-hmm. um, you know, yes, they produced some of the best writing of of the night of the twentieth century and um, yes, there was a huge falling out between Tolkien and Lewis at the end of their life. But during that time, the depth of that friendship was massive. Um, and I think we've lost something having made relationships so easily disconnected um, and so superficial. And I like what this movie does doing friendship well, making it to where the friendship thing, like there's not a romantic love interest story in here. Like it's hinted obviously very oddly with Cap and Peggy, but yeah, that's not going anywhere. Right. Um, and they don't do much with the girl with the, uh, um, you know, uh, Shannon, uh, or is it Sharon, Sharon, Sharon. Yeah. uh, they don't do much there until, you know, in, in, in civil war. And that itself is very funny 
the way that that plays out with Captain right. uh and, and Falcon. Um, but that's all there. But the, the relationship focus there is friendship, even the relationship between Black Widow and Cap. Like, there's not a moment in their friendship where you think, oh, something romantic's going to happen. Like, it's presented very platonically the entire time. Um, and I think that's, <laughs> even when they kiss, like, I think that's a very, very helpful thing um, and a very good thing because, and I think I think it's a very true thing. I think if society could embody that type of concern and care and friendship and trust with each other, um, it'd be great. We'd be a better yeah. society for it. But we're so scared of being vulnerable. We're so scared of doing what is required in friendship that instead uh, we just like stuff on Instagram and call it good. Yeah. Yeah, and I love that they bring Sam Wilson into the mix in this movie because, you know, Captain America sort of embodies all that stuff you're talking about, like that, you know, he's that picture of friendship. And even Bucky is from another time. So you could kind of write that off to, oh, well, these guys are from the 40s. Like, that's how it was back then. It's different now. But so then you've got Sam Wilson in there who's exhibiting the same thing. So you get the idea that this can be a modern concept just as much as it can be an old-fashioned one. Oh, for sure. And that's what, like, and it's sad that we even sit there and be like, oh, well, gosh, I mean, he's just an old-fashioned kind of guy. Gosh, you know, some things that we call old-fashioned, society would be better if it was new-fashioned. Right. Like, let's make friendship retro. Yeah. <laughs> like actual friendship, like the type of friendship where like you pop by someone's house and say hi, as opposed to sending them a tweet and saying sup. Yeah. You know, like build actual relationships with people. Like, and I think that's one thing that's great with like you see that the depth of that relationship build where they're not selling each other out. I, I'm, I'm blessed to have, you know, friendships that way where it's like I, yeah. I have this relationship and, and my life I feel is better because of it. And to totally. lack that would be, would be despairing and sad. Yeah. I mean, I can honestly say that I've got people in my life who, you know, if I went off the rails, they would, I truly believe show me as, lo- as much loyalty as cap showed Bucky. Yeah, totally. And I'm very grateful for those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife is one of them, but it's not just her. I have friendships, plutonic, non-romantic friendships. Yeah, that, like, like in which that dynamic exists as well. The the horrible situation of oh, those two people are close, therefore, you know, and the same thing we we see it in scripture. You know, there's people who read the story of David and Jonathan, um, and they say, oh, well, they must have had a homosexual attraction for each other. That, that's just misunderstanding human relationships. Like. Yeah. It's very possible. Like my, my friend Justin, like he and I would do pretty much anything for each other. And yet we are both happily married. And at least on my part, there is no interest in anything else. Uh, you know, like I'm <laughs> pretty sure I can that spe- with him. Huh? No, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he and I can sp- we can speak safely for both of us that no, no, uh, we just have a very good, close friendship um, that we both benefit and have life givingness from. Like, and, you know, he's not the only one, you know, Kurt and Derek, who you both know, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, as well, both of them, like same situation, you know, they they were among my groomsmen when I got married, you know, because of how important they are in my life and hopefully vice versa. So, yeah, no, I think it's I think the emphasis on friendship here is is a good thing. And one thing to go ahead and say, like, I like how they emphasize friendship because they didn't emphasize friendship in like a Disney way in which friendship was like right. this weird magical power or something like that. Totally. Um, no, they emphasize just these relationships are the ones that matter. 
like, and it carries on beyond this movie too. Like, obviously, it's a big part of Civil War. Yeah, like how how that happens. That's why you know Black Widow lets Cap do his thing, right? You know, because of that respect and that friendship. Like, and also, I mean, to go ahead and go further. Like, when we're looking at these characters. Um, you know, people often talk about the fact that, you know, family is the most important thing. And I'm, I'm willing to have a discussion about whether or not I think that's accurate because I think friendship is insanely important. Um, and what we're looking at or these characters. Or you could just go the Fast and Furious route where they're basically the same thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, that is a very profitable route to go. Um, <laughs> you know, but so Cap does not have any family. And uh, uh, Natasha does not have any family. And uh, Fury, at this point in time, does not have any family. We might mm-hmm. see some in the future. Um, and we don't see any from Sam Wilson. Um, yeah. And so you do what you do see is this very much embodied kind of postmodern idea that we saw starting kind of in the late 80s, early 90s, thanks to shows like Friends or something, where friend groups become family. Right. Uh, and they take on that role of what we would consider family doing, only it's actually the closeness of friendship. And that's one thing that is interesting is that what – people would have just referred to as this person is a good friend. He is like a brother to me. Like now people just say, no, these are my family. Um, And they've constructed it that way. And there's pros and cons to that. I mean, I'm not saying it's either good or bad, but it's an interesting thing. And I think we see that embodied here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on how much respect you have for the term. Like, right. I, I see a lot of value in ascribing the gravity and the strength of family to a friendship. Yeah. But, if you think the word family is a, you know, an, an institution of itself that should not be corrupted, then reducing it to the level of friendship, you know. Yeah, if, if whatever you fa- take. family just means like, you know, biology. Yeah. You know, well, then, yeah, that, that it'd be weird to refer to friendship as family in the same way that it'd be weird to refer to friendship as botany. Uh, you know, uh, right? Like, okay, but, uh, you know, but for those reasons. You gotta um, really love plants. <laughs> you are a fern to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, I, I, th- I think there is, a, you know, a gravity like that for sure. I mean, that's where my, uh, um, you know, my my best friend, his, his kids refer to me as Uncle Sam. You know, we have mm-hmm. no genetic relation whatsoever, but that's what I'm referred to as. Yeah. Which was interesting once I got married because then... Yeah, it was just assumed that they would refer to Tiffany as Aunt Tiffany. And uh, two of them did. And one of them was like, you're not my aunt. I'm not related to you. <laughs> and I was like, well, you're not related to me either. And she's like, what? Uh, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, you didn't know? Like you th- And that's, about Santa. That's fantastic, yeah, yeah. right? Exactly. <laughs> that Illuminati. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, that's that's all of my questions. Is there anything else about this? I'm sure there's a ton of things about this movie that well, we haven't touched on yet. But here's the thing: you know, st- stuffs about the movie. I'm trying to think. Like again, so what Marvel does in this movie is it shows that it's able to, um, in a lot of ways, tell a great story that's not an actual superhero movie. It right. is a movie with superheroes in it, and that's an interesting distinction. Because when we talk about a superhero movie, we usually think about a movie in which it's villain versus a superhero versus a villain, and it's primarily this you know easy you know fighting type thing. But this story felt very different. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it told it in a, in a way that was excellent and 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 good. Uh, the special effects were good. The fighting itself was pretty good. The story didn't have a huge Deus Ex Machina. Uh, like, I mean, there there obviously was. A, oh, for some reason, if you put these discs in this thing, it stops the problem. Um, <laughs> right. You know, fine, but it wasn't quite as large as. Oh, the put Loki's staff 
in here and then all of a sudden the portal closes or like like yeah. it wasn't you know those things which are kind of like what um you know or again i love guardians but the the dance off scene at the end and they're all able to hold the the gem yeah. like the the ending's kind of a little like seriously it was a great battle and then that um so I don't think the, the, the Winter Soldier let down, you know, or climactic. Uh, I think it resolves well. Um, I think it left itself open to some great stuff that got referenced in Age of Ultron and then ultimately mm-hmm. in Civil War. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think through if there's any other big concepts worth talking about. I mean, I do think we haven't we talked about it a little bit just because we talked about legacy. Um, but I do think there's something interesting with that relationship between Captain America and Peggy Carter with the fact that Cap is trying to figure out how to live in a world not just that's different because Star Wars has come out, you know, or music has changed. (laughs) Or the Trouble Man soundtrack. Right, like any of those things. Like, he's living in a world in which no one trusts the government. Right. Right, he's living, he slept through Watergate. You know, and so I do think there's an interesting thing that he has this, like, link to his past, but there's only one link, and every other link to his past is in a museum. And um, that link is on deathbed. A, right. Like, that's an yeah. interesting narrative for him to say how, you know, and to think through, what if someone from the 1940s, I mean, yes, there are people from the 1940s that are still here and around and populate most Southern Baptist churches, um, you know, but, like, if someone from the 1940s were to, in their prime, you know, like at 29 or something, mm-hmm. uh, get, by the way, the fact that I'm 34, and so I think the prime of life is 29, like that's that's clearly changed. I'm very jealous uh, of you yeah, being 34. Right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right, as I'm here in the prime of life in your mind. Yeah. Um, but, like, if someone then gets teleported here today, like, wh- what happens? Like, how does that change? How does their approach to the world change not just the way that they speak which is also fun to to look at i, I just watched this hulu show called the awesome uh, the awesomes that seth myers um oh yeah wrote yeah. uh and in that you know this superhero from the 40s gets de-aged um you know and, and here but it's not just the way that they talk but also just the way that they live and the things that they ex- uh, you know assume so like the, the line in avengers one where um Loki refers to Thor as a god of thunder, and you know Cap's like, you know, there's only one god, and he doesn't dress that way. Right. Um, that's that's a great throwaway line from a character that never does anything explicitly Christian, but if you if you were live in the 1930s and 40s, the culture of America at that time wasn't necessarily Christian, but the idea of the Christian God loomed large. You know, the, the god of Christianity was the Kardashians of the 1930s. You know, so like, even if you didn't keep up with him, you kind of knew who he was. I've never, I've never said that before, but that's gonna be a Facebook status. You're gonna say it again, yeah. And I'm gonna use that frequently because I'm really pleased with myself right now, actually. Yeah. Um, because that's actually the best way I've thought of to be able to phrase that idea. Work um, baby Hitler into it too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll try. Yeah. Um, but so I think that's an interesting concept, just about how that how we see it played out. That he, you know, and how, the way that the author is telling the story is: what do we imagine the 1940s to be, and what do we imagine the pinnacle of 1940s Americana to look like in 20, uh, you know, 14. Yeah, I think that might be the crux of why I love these two characters so much as compared to the rest of the characters in the Marvel Universe because the way that they deal with that is 
masterful, I think. Like, we get to see Cap um, presented with this challenge, presented with a world that doesn't share the values he shared in his old time. And we get to see him stand up for what he believes and communicate that to other people. But at the same time, we see him struggle and we see him falter and we see it negatively affect him. And I just think the balance of that is so interesting. Like that's why I keep wanting to watch Captain America in any of these movies. That's why he's always the one that kind of stands out to me is because I want to see how's he going to handle this situation. And I think Bucky has, you know, I mean, obviously logistically he has the same thing going on. And I think the farther away he gets from, being mind controlled as the winter soldier, the more we're going to see that kind of come out of him too. Right. No, so, I think so. Yeah. I just, I love those characters so much. They're good. I'm excited to see where they go in, uh, in infinity war. I know. I know. Oh, there's so much stuff coming. I know it's exciting. Um, okay. Well, I think, can we safely say that wraps it up for now? I think we can say it's wrapped. I think so. Sam, thank you so much, man. Hey man, thanks for having me on. I love doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you will be back. You're Excellent. one of our favorite guests. So. I'm happy to be. I'm happy <laughs> to do it. Looking forward to the next one. And um, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, as I've said before, stick around. Jay's going to have some information for you guys. And um, thank you for sticking with us on the Story Geeks podcast. And we'll see you next time. That is it for today's podcast. Now it's time for you to share your thoughts on today's topic. Write us an email at hi at reclamationsociety.org or head over to one of our social media accounts and get in touch with us there. Links are in the show notes. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe. And if you have an extra minute, write us a review or share this episode with one of your geek friends. All right, fellow geeks. As always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. We'll catch you on the next podcast.